on that note, hi, everyone. I feel like I nailed that transition. That's how it usually goes, right, Sheila? <laughs> Be like, well done, Kevin. That was perfect. Hey, uh, uh, so to start off, if you have your Bible, we're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 17 tonight. And um, I do want to say this. Uh, I'm so grateful to be here. Uh, if I haven't gotten a chance to meet you before, my name is Kevin, and I am the pastor at BCN on North Fairfield. And so uh, Alpha is like our brother church, sister church, something like that. So we're, we're related. <laughs> there we go. We could go at least on that sense. And I have been, I just want to say personally, I have been so excited about what's coming up here with Weekends at Alpha. And I'm just, I am just thrilled uh, with what you guys are doing together as a church. Part of my background is, um, is before being at BCN, uh, I actually planted a church with some friends in Maysville, Kentucky. Everybody's aware, the budding metropolis of Maysville, Kentucky. I'm aware, I get that. And so we planted a church with some friends, and there were about... Um, there were 65 of us that planned it together that kind of fortuitously came together. And I say this not to brag, but just to show big risks can work. Uh, when we left seven years later, there were 550 people as part of our congregation that started with 65. And again, I say that as that is evidence of the gifts of many and the Lord working. And I just say that to affirm that, man, taking steps like that of faith and taking steps that can seem a little risky in the moment can turn out to be incredible things for people's lives. And so I've been so excited getting to talk to Pastor Sheila and, uh, and just see all the things that's happening here. And so that is somewhat going to color what we're going to talk about tonight. So in 1 Kings chapter 17, uh, what is going on? We're looking at an account of Elijah the prophet. And what has happened is Elijah is, he is running from the king at the time. The king wants him dead because there's been this drought in the land that Elijah, in large part, has been responsible for. And so he's just been kind of hiding out. Uh, we're not going to get to this passage tonight, but I do want to let you know, in 1 Kings 18, other than the resurrection, is my favorite account in all of Scripture when Elijah has this showdown with the prophets on Mount Carmel. Um, Hopefully, like, that would be like, oh, yeah, I do want to read that, but I hope I don't say that strong enough that you want to read it now. So we're looking at 1 Kings 17, 18. That's your thing. You do that on your own time. So uh, this is what takes place in 1 Kings chapter 17. Uh, we're going to start in verse 8, and it says this. Then the Lord said to Elijah, Go and live in the village of Zarephath near the city of Sidon. I have instructed a widow there to feed you. So he went to Zarephath. As he arrived at the gates of the village, he saw a widow gathering sticks, and he asked her, Would you pre please bring me a little water in a cup? Innocent request, right? Please bring me a little water in a cup. But then this is what makes me laugh right away. As she was going to get it, he called to her, Bring me a bite of bread, too. <laughs> I, just, I just love that. Anyone read the book like uh, Give a Mouse a Cookie? Give a moose a muffin. Like, that is Elijah right here in this moment. Excuse me, can I just have a little bit of water? And it just, like, amazes me that she goes and gets it. Like, oh, okay, different culture. There we go. If that happened today, right, ladies? Weird guy stopping in a village. Can I just trouble you for a little water? Runs away. And a bite of bread, too. Something within that. And so that just cracks me up within that. Uh, but this, her response is important. This is verse 12. It says, but she said... I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house, and I have only a handful of flour left in the jar 
and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. She said, I don't, I don't have much. And then she says this. Remember, there's this drought in this land that's been going on for a while. She says, I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal, and then my son and I will die. This woman in this moment, she is, she is desperate. She's going, I have no hope. I'm, I've got nothing. Like, this is all we have left. I just have enough for a little bit of bread, and then I don't know what's going to come next. And so let me take this uh, very depressing answer and long answer, and let me just sum it up and make it real simple. She's just, she responds to Elijah the prophet, and she just says, I don't have enough. I know you just requested a little bit of bread, but I, but I don't have enough. And I think it's important that we point that out because that is a theme throughout Scripture of that response of, I don't have enough. I'll give you two accounts just to think of as we go throughout this. Uh, we see Jesus feeds the 5,000. All these people have gathered together. The actual number, it was, says 5,000 men. The actual estimate is that it's more like 20,000 people when you count women and children who are part of it. And he's going and he's teaching these people this entire day as disciples come to him because they're tired and they said, hey, send these people home. Like, we're tired. They're tired. We're hungry. They're hungry. I, I've never used this term before, uh, but it was recently brought up to me. Uh, like, they're hangry at this point in time. We could acknowledge that. Hungry, angry, if that's unfamiliar to you, you got it. Yes, <laughs> you're like, amen. No, I'm with you on that. There we go. <laughs> And so he's like, so they're all there together. He said, hey, we're hungry. Let's, let's take care of this. And Jesus turns to the disciple and he goes, you feed them. And they're, this is my version. With what? <laughs> and so they find a little boy. He goes, a couple loaves, a couple fish, five loaves, two fish. Like, I mean, we, we don't have enough is their response. They said, hey, there's no way we can do this in this moment. We don't have enough. Look at all the people. Look at what little bit we have. We don't have enough. Another account, just to keep in your head as we go throughout this. When the Israelites were supposed to take over the promised land, they didn't do it this time, but when they were supposed to take over the promised land, they're standing at the edge of the land, and Moses, the leader at the time, sends 12 spies into the land of Canaan, into the promised land, to search out and see the land. When the spies come back, it says that 10 of them tell horrific stories about how large the people in the land were, how strong they were, how difficult it would be to overcome them and say it's not possible. Two men come back, Joshua and Caleb. We know Joshua well from the Battle of Jericho. Caleb is not as famous in terms of his Bible account for today. But only two of them came back and said, it's great. The land is incredible. The land is everything we've been promised. We can do it. And so I just wanted to see from these three accounts we see the disciples, when looking at the 20,000 people who are hungry after Jesus taught them, the 10 spies who go into the promised land who come back, and right here now, this widow, the response is, we don't have enough. Like, that's a great idea. We should do that, but we don't have enough. Now, this is what's important, is this is not just a theme we see in Scripture. This is a theme we see today. And when things come up and our response is, I don't have enough. Now, it comes, it comes pretty natural in some areas. Someone asks you to do something, you go, I don't have time for that. And that's realistic in many ways. Don't have time for that. Uh, things come up that are nice. I don't have the money for that. Realistic. I don't have the money for that. Uh, but this is where it really starts to hit us. Is we start to think, I would do this thing that I feel like God wants me to do if... I had this. 
if I had this level of ability, then I could step into that. I remember feeling that often when we were planning the church. And at the time uh, when we planted, I think it was 26 at the time. And so we're just going through it. I'm young. We've got all these people who started coming. And I'm just thinking, they're going to leave once they find out I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> like, that's how I felt. Like, and we had this joke that was just kind of this running joke within our group as we'd prep stuff out and we'd try new things. And we'd always like end these planning meetings. We had these like innovative ideas that we didn't know if we were going to work, didn't know if everyone would hate it. And we'd end the meeting and someone would always say, well, this will be the last Sunday we ever have church. <laughs> I was like, okay. <laughs> Everybody put your hands in. Let's go. <laughs> it's like, this is kind of the omen. And I just felt that over and over again. Like, if I had more wisdom, if I had more knowledge, if I had more something, then I could do this, but I don't. And so I'm just going to stay here. Here's my guess is that you have said that to yourself or just kind of repeated it in the monologue within your brain more than once in your life. That there have been times, I'm guessing, because I felt this too in which God has pressed upon you to do something, in which you have felt God nudge you, in which you have felt God stir something within you. Maybe it was to step out in faith and do something. Maybe it was to give. Maybe it was to serve. Maybe it was to talk to someone. I'm not good with strangers. Uh, my wife is as extroverted as you get, which just makes me look more glaringly awkward within those moments. And I feel that. Sometimes I feel in those moments and I'm just like, oh, I should go talk to them. They look like they're struggling. But I'm not good with the talking. <laughs> so if I, was, if I was better at the talking and the conversation, then I would go do it. But I'm not, I don't have enough ability there, and so I can't do it. And this is exactly where this woman is. She says, hey, hey that'd be great, but I don't have enough. Now, here's what I think is really interesting. We'll get back to this count with Elijah in just a second. Is so when the, um, when the disciples are there and Jesus says, you feed the 5,000, you feed the 20,000 who are actually there. They said, hey, we don't have enough. All we have is these loaves and these fish. And Jesus says something in that moment that is so incredibly powerful that we often miss it. They say, here is what we have, and Jesus says, bring them to me. And the order is really simple. He says he blessed it, he broke it, and he distributed it to the people. It says everyone ate and had their full, and they actually had 12 basketfuls left over. And we look at this account and we think, and it, rightfully so, we go, that's such an amazing miracle that Jesus would feed that many people with just a couple loaves and a couple fish, and they had 12 basketfuls left over. But there is one part within that that is so pivotal to the process that we often miss it. And here's, here's our tendency, and I think this just can be an unhealthy thing at times, is when we see God... We see God move continuously throughout Scripture, and we see God move continuously today. But we don't see God move without partnering with people. This is how he seeks to act. He seeks to partner with the people who he has created over and over again. God does not do a solo act. It's always a duet with the people who he has created. And so we'll see an account of Jesus feeding the 5,000. We go, that's amazing that he fed that many people. But we miss the part where he partnered. 
It says the disciples come to Jesus and they said, we have a couple loaves and a couple fish. They don't say, we actually need, I don't know how many that comes out to, I can't do math that fast, but a lot. I don't know how much they ate. <laughs> they don't say we need, they don't say we lack, they say we have, and Jesus says, bring it to me. When, when the disciples brought what they had to Jesus, not what they needed, what the, not what they thought they needed, not showing their lack, when they brought what they had to Jesus, Jesus made it enough, actually more than enough for every single person who was there. This is what we see in this account in 1 Kings 17. I'm going to go back to verse 12, okay, and then we'll keep reading through. It says this, but she said, I swear by the Lord your God that I don't have a single piece of bread in the house, and I have only a handful of flour left in the jar and a little cooking oil in the bottom of the jug. I was just gathering a few sticks to cook this last meal, and then my son and I will die. But Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go ahead and do just what you've said, but make a little bread for me first. Then use what's left to prepare a meal for yourself and your son, for this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. There will always be flour and olive oil left in your containers until the time when the Lord sends rain and the crops grow again. So she did just as Elijah said, and she and Elijah and her family continued to eat for many days. There was always enough flour and olive oil left in the containers just as the Lord had promised through Elijah. There was always enough. Uh, I don't know how many of you, a couple, I guess it was actually maybe like a month or so ago, uh, my family went to see the movie The Greatest Showman. Has anyone seen The Greatest Showman? Just a couple of us? Okay, I didn't know it was a musical when I went into it. I figured that out when the characters started singing together. That was a bit surprising to me. I would like for them to print that ahead of time. By the way, a musical. <laughs> I was like, okay, there we go. At least I go in prepared. Uh, but there's this one character within the story. It's a story of um, Ringling Brothers and Barnum Bailey Circus and the origins of the circus. And it was kind of an amazing movie to see how it started and all the things that took place. Uh, but there's a character in the movie who kind of becomes the villain. And she's a, she's a singer. And the first time we're introduced to this character, she's singing in this huge stage. She's not, she's not like a real bad villain, but she's kind of the villain in the story. Uh, but the song that she sings to this crowd full of people, is uh, it's a beautiful song. We played on the soundtrack. My kids love the soundtrack, and so my kids sing it at the top of their lungs. We play it in the car. Sometimes I'll turn it down real quickly so I can hear their voices ring out. Uh, but the song is real simple. It just, uh, the title of the song is Never Enough. And it goes over and over again, and it says, it will never be enough. It says, all the stars and all the spotlights will never be enough. I could give all the lyrics, because I really like lyrics to songs. She goes through over and over, and she says, hey, all of this, it will never be enough. Now, earlier we sang a song that was really important. We sang the song, All the People Said Amen. And this is what the first verse said. You are not alone if you are lonely. When you're feeling frail, you're not the only. This is the important part. We are all the same in need of mercy to be forgiven and be free. It's all you've got to lean on, but thank God it's all you need. Isn't that beautiful? So, so this is the tension that we find ourselves in. A world in which tells us it will never be enough. And a God who says, I am all that you need. 
And here is our tendency, and this is the struggle that we will always fight as people who live on this earth, is our tendency will be to bring this set of thinking of it will never be enough into our faith. And then as a church, as we talk about different things that we feel called and led to do, our mind immediately goes to what is lacking and what is missing and what we need in order for this to happen. And the story of how God works over and over again is so simple. It's not what is lacking. It's what do you have? What do you have? Bring it to me. Just, just bring me what you have. Your time, your ability, your resources. What do you have? And it will always be enough. So I, I bring that up to you tonight uh, not just for you personally, because I'm sure that hits in different levels. I know it does me in different levels, this idea of a God who is always enough, always enough. Uh, but especially for this state and this spot uh, that you're in as a church right now. As you look forward to all these things that are going to take place and all the things that will need to be done to have services here on Sunday. And there are, because I've lived it before, I know there's thousands of questions and the questions go through all the different things like, well, how will the band be? Will they have energy to sing? Do we have greeters? Do we have people who can care for children, help train and develop them? Are we going to have people who fill the seats? Man, that's a nerve-wracking thing. The first Sunday that we planted the church, I just had this like feeling the entire time. It was just like, what if no one shows up? Like, what do we do if no one's here, and I gotta tell you, there was one Sunday, we started with two services because we wanted everyone to always be able to attend a service, even those who cared for the children. We wanted to make sure they had a chance to attend a service. And so there was one time that our nine o'clock service had three people in it. <laughs> and I got up there for the message. I didn't know how many people were there because my back was turned to them the whole time. They snuck in late, three people, and they came late. <laughs> and so I got up there for the message. I saw there was three people, I was like, well, guys, let's just sit down and talk. Let's just, I'm not going to preach it. And they're like, oh, okay, good, good. <laughs> but you have like all those nerve-wracking questions as to how is this going to work? How is this going to happen? How are we going to do these different things? And this is what I would just press upon you to be mindful of. Don't make your prayer about the things that you need. Don't make your prayer about the things that you lack. Make your prayer, God, here's what I have. Here's what I have, and I'm trusting that if I bring it to you, that it will be more than enough. I love this verse in uh, Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. It says this. It says, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. And my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. So with that said, um, tonight uh, we now turn to the table in which we remember and participate in a God who is willing to pour himself out for his body to be broken, for his blood to be shed, so that we might find forgiveness for our sins, and so we might find the abundant life that God desires for us. And, and here's the hard thing that I think um, can happen within this moment as we enter the table, is it is this dual role. It is remembering and participating. 
You see, we understand that the cross was the one final statement that no penalty needed to be made for our sin because Jesus had accomplished that. And yet in the exact same moment, the call of Christ is simple. It's take up your cross and follow me. And so as we come to the table to remember Jesus' body broken and blood poured out, we do it not just with a prayerful remembrance, but with a prayerful participation of what does that look like for me to lay my life out before God and offer it to him in all that he seeks to do. So I'm going to pray for us, and then I invite you to come. Let's pray. Father, I am uh, I'm grateful. I'm grateful that, that I don't have to be enough. I'm grateful that in all different moments of my life, I don't need to have it all together. I don't need to have it all figured out as I look at my abilities, my gifting, um, that, that it doesn't need to be better, that it doesn't because I'm very aware of where I'm lacking. And Father, let my, let our, let all of our awareness of our struggle and awareness of our lack not make us timid, but increase our boldness in you. Let, let our weaknesses and struggles, when lived out, become our strengths because that is where your spirit is the most present. And as we come to the table, let us find you and let us follow you in everything we do. And we pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.